we're, we're doing our Christmas series, and we've called it Chain Reaction. It's a simple little idea. God started something, um, and he did it with a seemingly bunch of disconnected people, kind of chain reaction that would launch Jesus into the world, and he did it because he intended for that to ripple through 2,000 years and to show up in your life today. Now, we just sang a song that kind of illustrated a different choice that you can make. You can choose to be a product of today. You can, you can choose to go with a cold heart, a heart of stone, harden yourself, because you think that's what it's gonna take in order to make it through life. But in doing so, you could miss out on the very things God intends for you to experience that were all started at Christmas. For instance, we talked about joy last week. And uh, joy is this thing that's based on what God's doing in your life and has been doing. And if you can see that, you can respond with joy. But if your heart's cold, if your heart's hard, you might miss it or not be grateful for what God is doing or has done. And so your expression of joy just never happens and you miss out. Um, this morning, we're gonna talk about another idea. It's, it's, it's a big idea that if, it, um, if you can grab onto it, it could really change your life. I think it's so big sometimes, or at least the way we think about it, that we've concluded it's impossible. It's can't, it just can't happen. There were people in Israel's day and age that would have wondered if it was possible too. Uh, these two ideas were presented in very similar ways. Joy was presented um, by angels to some shepherds on a hilltop. What we're gonna look at today was presented by angels to shepherds on a hilltop, except there's a big difference. The joy, the angel said, listen, this is for all people. But the one that we're gonna look at today is a little bit different. This is in Luke chapter two, verses 14, and look at what it says. These angels say, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, earth, peace on those whom his favor rests. Doesn't say on everybody. It says peace is there on whom God's favor rests. Now, if you're Jewish, you're feeling pretty good about this. Uh, because for you, you believed in peace. You would greet each other that way. You would say goodbye to each other. You would say shalom. It was a big part of your culture. And you believed that God favored you. So for them, this, this would have been great news. But if you would have gone up to any Jew at this time in history when the angels are proclaiming this and said, do you have peace? Almost all of them to a T would have said, no, I think we're gonna have to have a war before there's gonna be any peace. Now, they all didn't agree, that, <laughs> agree with that. That was part of the problem. They all couldn't get on the same page as how you should respond to these Romans who were living in our territory, but almost all of them would have agreed that the reason that we don't have peace, the reason that we can't be unified together as a nation is because of Rome. They're the problem. They're the thing that's causing the issue, which... If you understand a, just a little bit of history, you would say they didn't learn very well from their history. So I, so I want to help you understand the context of this because these words were spoken to a group of people at a certain time and there were some things that had happened in their lives that when the angel said, peace on earth on whom God's favor rests, they, they would have looked around and wondered. So let me, let me just push back just a little bit. 
In 63 BC, there's a Jewish king who's on the throne, who's running Israel. He passes away, and he has two sons that decide they can't get along with each other, and they can't decide how the kingdom should be either split up or run. So they gather groups of people together, and they get into a bloody civil war. They start killing each other, Jews against Jews, for power. Uh, it gets pretty disruptive. And at some point, they come to their senses, and they realize maybe we could bring in an outside mediator. And if we could get a mediator in here to solve this between us, this would be great. So they found a Roman general that was up in Syria. And they contacted him and said, would you come down here and mediate this conflict? And Rome wanted it mediated. This war was disrupting trade. There was a lot of trade that went from Egypt all the way up through Syria. It was a main, a main trade route. And they were like, yeah, let's go get this thing solved. So the Roman general shows up. And it... Seemed like things were going to go well until one of the brothers decides to bribe the Roman general to side in his favor. The Roman general agrees to it, says, listen, I'm going to go get my troops. Here's the plan. This is how we're going to do it. I want you to be patient. When we get back, Israel will be yours. Off he goes to get his troops. The guy who paid the bribe can't be patient. He decides to do some stuff that was not part of the plan that he agreed on with the Roman general. And so when the Roman general shows back up, the first person he attacks is the guy who paid him the bribe because he's ticked off that he wouldn't follow the plan. He defeats him, all his men, captures him. Then he turns his attention to the brother who didn't pay the bribe. He sieges Jerusalem and wins easily because the guy, who, the guy he captured who paid the bribe, right, he still had some followers inside of Jerusalem who undermined the defenses so the Romans could get in and kill a bunch of people. This is the story. Now listen, this is where it gets interesting. The Roman general decides not to leave. Well, that makes sense. This is like, this is like having an argument in a chicken coop and asking the fox to come in and mediate, right? And then going, whoa, the fox won't leave. I didn't see that coming. Now, you would think maybe you could get a unified group together to fight him. But they were so beat up from their own civil war, and they still had so much animosity towards each other, having just sided with the Romans against each other, that they had nothing to oppose him. And Israel falls under Roman control. It doesn't last forever. Um, several years later, maybe 15, 20 years later, an outside force invades Israel, kicks the Romans out. The Romans come back with the legion, right? They come back with their, their centurions, and they take Israel back. And this time, they decide to install a king, and his name is Herod the Great, and they call him king of the Jews, which is infuriating to every Jew because he doesn't have the heritage to be their king. In fact, there's a high priest who's making this a very vocal kind of public display where he's talking about how inappropriate it is for Herod to be the, um, the king. But don't worry. He mysteriously dies one night, and nobody knows who killed him, right? And that dies down, and Herod takes over. 
And although the power struggle had stopped, everybody hated him because he had a single agenda, and that was to bring as much Rome into Israel as possible. Started building Roman-type buildings all over the place, um, put Roman cities and settlements in Jewish territories, he um, brought in the culture, all the plays, all the stuff, started to attract the young Jewish people away from their faith. And the people hated him. They hated him. And so if you would have asked them, what's the problem? They would have all, they would have all said Rome. They had different ways that they wanted to deal with it, but they would have all said Rome. Well, around 4 BC, Jesus has likely been born. He's probably a toddler at this point. Um, could be a little bit younger, but he's, he's born and he's around. And Herod the Great dies. His three sons start arguing over how they're gonna break up Israel. Sound very familiar, right? The little power struggle here. And a guy named Hezekiah sees his opportunity. He thinks, we start a rebellion right now, people will flock to us and we'll overthrow Rome because we know people are unhappy. And so around 4 B.C., he starts what best can be described as guerrilla warfare against Rome. Starts killing their patrols, starts doing all this stuff. This goes on for two years. Jesus has probably left. He's probably gone to um, Egypt at this point. Um, but this is part of the nation's history. They were, um, it ended two years later when they captured Hezekiah and executed him. 6 A.D., Eight years after they've killed Hezekiah, Jesus is back. He's living in, living in Nazareth, probably 11 or 12 years old or, or so, so he's really aware of what's going on in his world right now. This would have been uh, common knowledge. A guy named Judas from Galilee, not the same one you're thinking about, decides to get a whole bunch of people, and he thinks you've got to go big. Like if you go big, people will flock to you and will start a rebellion that will overthrow Rome. So they attack a Roman city. They sack it. And, and they think everybody's gonna jump on board, but everybody did not jump on board. And this rebellion ends, listen to this, this is tough. This rebellion ends with 2,000 zealots being captured and crucified all around Israel as a message to everybody who would oppose Rome. This is what we do to you. Now, now listen, if you, if you were a Jew and you thought God's favor rested on you and you would have peace, you would be looking around going, what's happening? And maybe if you were the shepherd on that hilltop, you knew the history, you knew the mess that you were in, and maybe you're looking forward and thinking, maybe, maybe forward from this, we're going to have peace. But 10, 12 years later, you're watching 2,000 zealots crucified, hanging on crosses as a sign that, you know what? We're going to dominate you. We're going to oppress you. We're gonna rub it in your face. We're gonna slaughter you if you dare oppose us. This is the world that peace on earth, on whom God's favors rest, was spoken into. These people didn't feel at peace at all. In fact, if they would have looked at the big things, uh, kind of like us, honestly, if, if I asked you to look around our world right now, would you say our world's at peace? Is that how you would identify it? If we, if we just dialed it back a little, 
and said, hey, let's look at our country. Let's look at all the groups that people have divided themselves into. Would we say we're at peace? No, we probably wouldn't. In fact, you could keep dialing it back and dialing it back, and it would be the same kind of story. If you're looking for peace from like a political movement or a religious group or something like that, the same thing that was going on with Israel, all of those things were in turmoil. All of those things were in turmoil. And they had concluded that if you wanted peace, that's like holding oil in your hand. Maybe it's wishful thinking. Maybe you're just clueless if you think it's possible. But they had decided that I can't have peace because all of these big things are messed up. That, that same conclusion happens in our minds too. If I were to ask, hey, do we have peace? Most of us would say there's too much interference. There's too much interference in our country. There's too much interference around the world. There's, there's not peace to be had. But, I, but I've been thinking about this a little And I like to just present this little thought. Is it possible that we don't have peace in this world because we don't have people who have peace in their worlds? See, what God's idea was, was that he would come and he would establish peace on those on whom his favor rests. It's a very personal thing. He wanted to establish peace with you peace with me, and that in so doing, we would walk with that sense of peace into the world that we go in, and we would become the peace starters. So, so we have these big things that we focus on when we hear the word peace. God had something smaller in mind, and I want to take us there. I, I want to take it down to the question that I think was meant to be asked, not Peace on earth. Oh, are we going to have peace on earth? I think this is the question. Do you feel at peace in your own life? Do you feel at peace in your own life? Now, if you set aside all the big things, like you accept, I'm not going to feel a sense of peace because of what's going on in the world, what's going on in our country, what's going on in all of that. But can I have peace? And you would start to find that there are things in your world, in your life, that seem to disrupt that ability to have peace. Now, maybe it's where you work. Work is hard. Um, for some of you, school is your work. That's your job. You go there and you're trying to do a good job and you're mixing it up with people who think differently than you, but you're trying to accomplish common goals and boy, friction happens. And sometimes that friction eats up your life. Sometimes it happens with your friends. You, you thought they would have your back. They didn't. Maybe you feel betrayed. Maybe it's a little less than that. Maybe you just feel let down. You thought they would come through, and they didn't. And that's created some friction in your life at this point. Or maybe it's in your own home that place where you thought you could go to rest and have some solitude. It doesn't happen because it's just a mess there right now. 
Or maybe there's a conflict inside of you that's emotional in nature and you've dealt with depression or fear or worry and you're not sure what to do. Or it's a big, you've got a big decision and you know it will shape your whole life making this decision. And the best you can do right now is eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You don't know what to do, but you know it's important. And you have all of that stuff happening in your life. Let, let me ask it this way. In the last 30 days, how many nights have you lost sleep thinking about the stuff that you're dealing with with your life right now? I'll let you like figure that out. See, what happens is this idea that we would experience peace kind of gets stolen from us, even if we've set aside the big stuff. Even if we say, okay, it's not the big stuff. He wasn't after the big stuff. He was at the small stuff. But when stuff comes along that you can worry about, you worry. When stuff comes along about stuff that you get, get worked up about, you get worked up. When stuff comes along that you could complain about, you're there. And it captures you, and you go there. And you haven't felt a sense of peace in a long time. So what do you do? Well, I think what I want to do to help us with this is to take us into the scriptures. Because I think what God had in mind was that you would find a place where you could rest, be calm, be reassured with him, have a sense of harmony with God. And, I, and I'll just tell you straight up right now, if you're having difficulty finding peace in your life, it will always spill over onto God. Because our thinking goes, God should have taken care of this, God should have protected me from this, God should have had a different outcome for me, it will always spill over onto that. And God is looking to find a way to be in harmony with you. So I wanna take you into the scriptures because there's somebody in there, in the Christmas story, that experiences personal stuff like that should mess them up, no doubt. I, I wanna direct your attention to Mary. She's asked to do a very difficult thing. She's pregnant and engaged, not married. That, that is gonna be a problem in this culture. In fact, it's gonna be a big, one of those big narrative stories that um, they're gonna produce shame in her life because of it. They're gonna attack her over this. She's faced a divorce, and God prevented her from dealing with that kind of shame. And, and we, where we find her in the story is she's ended up in Bethlehem. This is Joseph's family's hometown. And the scriptures record that this person who has a lot of personal stuff going on in their life, the scriptures say there was no room for her in the Cataluma. Now, Cataluma was a, a place in a, in a person's home where they would take a guest. And you have to understand how this works. To take care of people in the ancient world, it was a community, a thing. It just wasn't you. If you needed food, people would pool their food, take it to your house so that you had enough for your guests. 
It was a matter of pride for the whole community to take care of somebody. So if you had a big family come in and that family filled up your Cataluma, they would go to the next door neighbors. You don't, like, they don't know them at all, but they would give them a place to sleep because the community's reputation was on the line. And in walks a very, very pregnant woman. She's gonna deliver soon. She's probably there for a month or two because of the census. But she's, she's quite pregnant. And sure, maybe, maybe Joseph's family's catalumas were all full. Maybe that's the case. But a whole community having no room or place for her? Listen, this was a choice. And it was a choice to say, we're going to reject this person and we're not going to be judged when we do it because all of Israel would climb on board with us and say this person should be shamed. And so Mary gets sent to the place in the house where you would have the animals, where it would stink and smell. And maybe she's not really aware of that when she's giving birth. Maybe she has other things on her mind. But I'm telling you what, when she lays baby Jesus in a manger and realizes that she is in a place where you store animals, it's very real to her. And she knows she's been rejected. Now here, this is where it gets interesting. Because if there was anybody who should be losing sleep in this story, it was Mary. But I want you to see what was said to her when the angel first came and told her that this was gonna be her assignment. This is pretty cool. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. By the way, he says this twice. He says, you're favored by God, twice. Which if we understand what the angels on the hillside said, then Mary has the ticket punched just right. Where does peace rest? On those who has God's favor. That's Mary. Does she have peace? Does she feel a sense of peace with where she's at right now? See, what, what happens is uh, she gives birth and in come rolling a whole bunch of shepherds which would have been very disturbing. This community had joined together to reject her. And outsiders were coming in through this home in order to honor this baby and this woman. This would have been, this would have been surprising. People were gonna have a hard time understanding what was happening. And as the shepherds gave their details, the scriptures record that people were amazed at what they said, shocked by what they were saying. And although the word peace is not attached to Mary, there are actions that only a person who's experiencing peace would do. I want to show it to you. The shepherds are departing. People are amazed at what they've said. And in verse 19 of Luke chapter 2, it says this, but Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Treasured up. Treasured up what? Maybe what, the, maybe what the shepherd said. Was she treasuring up where she was at and what she was experiencing right now? Was, was that part of the treasure? Or was she 
treasuring up what God was doing, because here, I, I want you to understand this. This, I think, is so cool. When a baby is born, there would be a party. People would make a big deal about it. The mortality rate was high, so if you had a baby that survived, people are celebrating. No celebration for Jesus until a group of shepherds are brought in by God from the outside to celebrate the birth of that child. <laughs> God arranged a party, you guys. He did it. And I think in that moment, Mary remembered, Mary realized, Mary knew, I have not been abandoned, I am not alone, I have not been forgotten. And because she knew God was with her, because that's how it was attached to in, the, in, that, mat, or in that section where the angel came to Mary and said, you're favored, this is how it played out. The Lord is with you is what the angel would say. And she's gonna remember God's with me. Nobody else was celebrating the birth of my child, but God brought a party to this house. And it caused her to treasure, to store, to value, to hold these things close in her heart. And she was excited about what God was doing. She had no business, none. She had no business feeling a sense of peace except that God was with her and it changed everything. Can I help you? Just stop for a second and understand that this is the Christmas message. That God came to earth as a baby to get close to you and I. He did that out of love for you. And even as, he, even as he returned into heaven to be with his father, the spirit of God remained with you, with you, to go with you to work, to go with you with your friends, to show up in your home with you, knows what's going on, knows how you feel, gets it. Like holding your hand, has your back, in it with you. That's what God was trying to do. And the story that's happening in Mary's life is something that's available for you. Like if you could realize almighty God of the universe is with you, it changes everything. A couple weeks ago, I was, I was not doing well. And if you'd have asked me if I had peace, I would have pointed to all kinds of external things and said, this is why I don't. And um, I had my wife looking at me going, you are grouchy. I don't like you right now. Get over it. And I was like, I feel pretty good. I don't know what you see. Like, I don't know what your problem is. And I, I'll tell you about this um, in a couple weeks. But I, ha I had a moment um, where I realized that I had forgotten that God goes into the arena with me every day. He goes into the arena with me with friends. He goes into the arena with me with family. He goes into the arena with me when I go to work. He, go he is with me. And when I had a sense, 
when I remembered that I was not forgotten, that I was not alone, that I had not been abandoned, that God was right there with me, my whole demeanor changed. It was only after that was I able to look and go, oh yeah, I was, that wasn't very nice. I wasn't being very nice to my wife. I was kind of an idiot. Didn't see it until then. Why? Because I had chosen today's values, my heart was hardening and I was becoming cold. And I'll tell you what, it separated from me from people I loved, including God. And it will do the same to you. Listen, I don't know what you're facing. But here's what I do know. Listen, I, listen carefully. This is really important. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. A God who loves you, who started something at Christmas to tell you how much he loved you, still feels that way and is available for you right now. And if you'll just remember, if you'll just remember, he's right beside you, he's with you right now, it will change your perspective. It will bring a sense of rest and comfort to your life that God wants you to live with. What I found was my circumstances didn't change, but I was becoming a person of peace that was going into situations, and because I was different, the situations were responding differently. That's who you are. And if you want to see peace in this world, you will be a person of peace, and you can, because God favors you. How do I know this? He sent his son out of love for you. His spirit stays with you. You're favored. He's with you. And if you'll remember it, it will change the way you live. Let me pray with you. God, it's really easy to look at the big things in this world and to feel like peace is not a possibility. And if we were measuring that, it's probably true. How are you gonna get all of these different people who have different views on the same page? But God, when you talked about peace, when your angels announced it on the mountainside to those shepherds, you were talking about a very personal thing and ultimately, we are people who have garnered your favor, done nothing to deserve it, and yet we have it. And what that means for us is that you're with us. God, I'm convinced that there are people here this morning who need to remember that they are not alone, they are not abandoned, they are not forgotten, that you love them, that you're right there with them, that their demeanor could simply change because of their trust in your love for them. God, you're so good. I ask that we would reach out and take a hold of that peace that's available for us right now, that we would have a sense of comfort, that we'd be able to take a deep breath and realize you're with us. You're in the arena. 
We're not fighting alone. God, I ask you would whisper to those who need to hear it this morning. Help us to become people of peace who take that into the world. And in Jesus' name, amen.